0: How's everybody doing? We got some rain, so that's good, right? I'm really, really happy about that. So happy about the rain. Water's good. We need water. So I was in touch with um, Pastor John and Kay uh, in the last week or so. Um, I still need to confirm, but it looks like they'll be here the last weekend in uh, November, which I think is Thanksgiving Sunday, the last weekend of uh, November, and then the first weekend in December. Oh, the picture's up. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Um, yeah, so what What Pastor John will preach, that last weekend in November, the first weekend in December, and then we're going to put him to work during the week. He's going to teach at men's breakfast on Wednesday morning. That'll be hard to talk him into that, right? And then um, I think Rock of Ages on Friday. So, you know, weekend, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So I, I text him and you know, told him he had two months to prepare. Better be good. Um, I'm so excited. My wife and I went to dinner last night, and um, we were talking about John and Kay, and we're just so encouraged just to, um, we love them so much and we feel their love for us. And for that to be the legacy that we have um, as him being the founding pastor and, you know, me coming in on his heels, um, I I just couldn't, we we are just so grateful. We were just praising the Lord that our relationship with them is good and their relationship with us is good. And um, we're just so grateful for them. And we text every week and, and he sends me pictures like that. Some of you probably got that picture as well. And just so happy for them. we can't wait for them to settle in and go pay him a visit. And uh, anyway, so um, John and Kay. Uh, fr- Friday, what's today? Sunday Friday <laughs> Friday night was Rock of Ages. And that's once a month. And it was amazing. Denny Arnold, if you were here, um, I've seen and heard a lot of testimonies, but arguably the most powerful testimony I've ever witnessed in my life, both by way of content and delivery. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, so just a just wonderful night uh, on friday and hearing what god did and how god pursued that man for so many years and arguably he's pursuing some of you in the very same way as we speak um i've had two interesting weeks in a row i, was, I got sick last sunday um i actually got sick the thursday before last week and the lord got me through the messages and then i just kind of crashed and burned and didn't wake up feeling really well on monday but i i came to work on monday and Went to the prayer meeting. I skipped out a few minutes early because I just I just needed to get home and rest. And I spent a good part of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in bed, um, but I'm doing good. And um, I've been in this place before. And when you're trying to prepare a message and you're just going through some challenges, and I I know one response and one response only that's always worked for me. And I'll tell you what it is: I stick my foot in the throttle and I just go for it. So I'm going to stick my foot in the throttle. And that's what I'm going to do. Is that okay with you guys? It's the only way I know how in, in weeks like this. Stick my foot in the throttle, and when we get to wherever we're going, say, wow, God, that was pretty cool. All right? So that's what I'm going to do. Having said that, I did this last night, and I did it this morning. I had one of the elders pray for me before I, before I spoke. And Bruce, would you be willing to come up and pray for me? Um, Bruce is one of our elders. I had um, Doug Renault prayed for me at 9 a.m., and Pastor Dave prayed for me last night. And uh, I'm two for two so far. It seemed to work, so don't screw it up, Bruce, please. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Lord, we come to you right now, Lord, and we just thank you so much for Pastor Mark, Lord, and we just pray that you'd just touch him now and just heal him, Lord. Just fill him with your spirit as he brings forth your word to us, Lord, and we just pray that you'd just anoint him now, Lord, and just strengthen him, Lord, and Mm. prepare our hearts, Lord, now just to receive your word, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Bruce. I love our elders. We're in such good hands. So grateful. All right, so Psalm 28. Who read Psalm 28 this week? Yeah? Raise your hand proudly. Did you read Psalm 28 this week? Good. Thank you for doing that. Did you love it? Or was it like, are you kidding me? It's a trip. I just think think it's a trip. And we are going to go on a wild ride this morning. All right, so buckle up. We are about to enter full throttle mode. Psalm 28. Please turn there. You can find it right after Psalm 27. Just, just kidding. Um, Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary, do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil resides in their hearts. Requit them according to their work and according to the evil of their practices. Requit them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense. Verse 5, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor do they regard the deeds of His hands, He will tear them down and not build them up. Verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, because He has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength, my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts. And with my song, I shall thank Him. The Lord is their strength. He is the saving defense to His anointed. Verse 9, Save your people, bless your inheritance, be their shepherd also, and carry them forever. Psalm 28, Ted Malone, whose radio show came on early in the morning, tells the story of an Idaho shepherd who wrote the following. Mr. Malone, will you, on your next broadcast, please take a moment to strike the note A. I am a sheep herder way out here on a ranch, and consequently I am far away from a piano. The only comfort that I possess is my trusty old violin. However, it's all out of tune. Would it be possible for you to strike A, so that I might get my violin in tune. Ted Malone was more than honored to grant the request, and days later he received a thank you note from the distant shepherd saying, I am now in tune. Thank you. One of the purposes and responsibilities of public and personal worship and devotion is to enable the aspiring Christian, you and I, to keep tuned in to our great shepherd, one of the joys of the Christian life that you and I get to experience is to help others recapture the missing note in their lives. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are our good shepherd, and to you we turn. And Lord, into whatever degree that we are out of tune, Lord, we pray that you would get us back into tune with you. Lead us and guide us as we trust you. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So Psalm 28, some summaries or observations that I want to make. The first seven verses of Psalm 28, we find David praying personally as any wise person or any wise king should. In verses 8 and 9, we find David praying for the people that he leads as any wise and caring leader should. The first part of the Psalm, verses 1 through 5, is the prayer of somebody experiencing distress. Verses 1 through 5 is the prayer of someone experiencing distress. Although we cannot be certain what the cause of the distress was or is. The latter part, verses 6 through 9 of Psalm 28 is the prayer of someone experiencing deliverance. So we go from distress to deliverance. Offering thanksgiving for that deliverance that we find in verse 1 through 5. He's offering uh, thanksgiving for the deliverance in verses 6 through 9. Let's look at the Uh, distress in verses one through five to you O lord i call my rock don't be deaf to me if you're silent to me i'm going to be just like the dead people the people that go down to the pit hear the voice of my supplications when i cry to you for help when i lift up my hands in your sanctuary verse three don't drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity they speak peace but evil's in their hearts Repay them according to their work and their evil practices and their deeds of their hands. Repay them what they deserve, their recompense, because they do not regard your works nor the deeds of your hands. So you will tear them down and not build them up. Don't make me like them, David cries out. He is in some serious distress. In verses 9, we see the deliverance. It turns like that. Blessed be the Lord because He heard the voice of my supplication. He's my strength, my shield. I will trust Him. I am helped. Therefore, my heart praises or exalts with my song. I will give Him thanks. The Lord is their strength. He is their saving defense. Save your people and bless your inheritance and carry them like a shepherd forever. Wow. Four verses of deliverance right after five verses of distress. Quick question, how many of you, like David, have ever experienced distress in your life? Can I get a show of hands? What about deliverance from the very same distress? Can I get a show of hands? Praise God. Praise God we were able to raise hands for both, right? If you, as you have, have experienced the Lord's deliverance, you can readily understand David's thankfulness and praise here in Psalm 28. Let me ask you this, church. What would be better, A, that we experience distress and have nowhere to turn, or B, that we would experience distress and turn to a loving and caring God, even though His perfect timing often doesn't match our own wants or desires? Which is better, A or B? I'll take B. So let me pull back a little bit of the layer, one of the layers of my life distress, give you an idea of distress. So I got saved at 15, right? And when you're saved at 15, you start working through your salvation, right? And so I realized very quickly that I had some anger issues. I knew it. And so I'm just going to memorize scripture. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible and that anger is going to go away because I'm not going to therapy. I don't need therapy. I got anger issues, but I can figure this stuff out. At age 21, a brother in the Lord was kind enough to tell me, you need help. You need help. I'd known it for six years. I didn't want to go to therapy. I didn't want to be known as somebody who had problems. I knew I had problems. I didn't want anybody else to know I had problems, like you guys, right? And so I went. And, and But in that moment, it was probably the darkest hours of my life, those days leading up to I felt like my life was falling apart. I'd moved out when I was 18 or 19 years old. My mom converted my room into a sewing room. She said, you can't come back. And so I was on my own. I'm supporting myself, and I'm in college, and I'm doing my thing, and I just... I felt empty, I felt alone, I felt confused, and I was in deep, dark despair. I had no idea what was on the other side of it. But I went in obedience, and I, and I, and I start seeing a therapist, and his name's Bob Bowen out in Rancho Cucamonga. This was 30 years ago, and I saw him every Thursday, and I was petrified. In those dark hours to go get help, after that first session, I couldn't wait to go back. I was starting to get set free from the distress that I was in. Deliverance was just being unfolded hour after hour and week after week. And after six months, he says, you're doing fine. Get out of here. I'll I'll take your money if you want, but you don't need to be here. Go out there and figure it out. You'll be fine. And I did. And the Lord started to deliver me through six months of therapy. Right after that, I met my wife. And now she's got to go through some therapy, but that's a whole other story. But I'm good, man. I'm good. She's taking it for the team and I praise the Lord for that. But that was a part of my deliverance and still is. And I'm still working through things even now. Even a couple years ago, the Lord has started, has delivered me from stuff that I wrestled with for 30 and 40 years. That's my story. That's my distress. That's one of my distresses in God's deliverance. And it doesn't happen overnight, but boy, when it does. And to look back at moments of distress and just say, wow, what an amazing time in my life. And arguably, we've all had similar experiences. This is what's going on in Psalm 28. Amen? Another glaring challenge of this psalm that deserves some initial attention, and then we're going to address it later, um, What I would like to call my little elephant in the room is found in verses 1 through 5. The emotion and proclamation by David in these opening verses are very interesting to me. It's as if David is stating that when the Lord is silent, then we as his children seem to be no different than those who are evil, wicked, and workers of iniquity. It feels that way when the Lord is silent sometimes, doesn't it? If Yahweh is silent to us in the same way that he is silent to the wicked, then it seems we are dead to him, like these first five verses of Psalm 28 proclaim. I can only imagine that many of us have felt exactly as David describes here in Psalm 28. Why, Lord, are you treating me like the wicked? It's hard to say which of the following two conditions that David was in when he wrote Psalm 28. Here are the two options. There's two options for Psalm 28. The first one, when he wrote Psalm 28, was David in trouble? Was he seeking the Lord and by faith praising him in advance? Is that what he's doing in anticipation of deliverance? That's one position. The second position, was David now in a place of triumph? He's on the other end of the trial and then he writes the psalm, right? And he simply remembered and recorded his prayers of affliction and distress, so that he and others could benefit by remembering it. Which one of the two is it? I don't know. What I know about the character of David and the nature of his relationship with the Lord, I lean toward the first one, that David was indeed crying out for help in his time of distress. But all the while he was trusting that God would indeed answer his requests. That's what I believe. Again, as mentioned in previous weeks, The Psalms are so helpful and instructive, and they give us permission and freedom to be honest with the Lord in our prayer language. Go ahead, complain about your current distress. That's okay. That's what David does. But don't stop there, church. Confidently call on the Lord for His deliverance and trust Him to bring it. Amen? Using Psalm 28 as our example, does it seem odd to you as it seemed odd to me that David can begin his prayer in such distress and despair and then flip the switch to a high level of expectation thankfulness and praise does it seem odd it seems hard and maybe even a little bit odd is it possible that in our moments of intense despair that we can also like David experience an intense promise of deliverance is it possible i believe it's possible With what level of confidence do we pray when we're in distress? With what level of confidence do we pray when we're in distress? Why might that be so? Perhaps we simply have not had enough experiences of distress. Oh, God can fix that. Perhaps we simply haven't paid attention to this good book and really tore it apart from cover to cover to see how God is a faithful and delivering God. And so God wants us to know more about Him so we know that He can deliver. Perhaps we're not paying attention to our own life where we fail to look back like I do and say, wow, Lord, 30 years ago you delivered me from this out of my despair, and 20 years ago this, and 5 days ago that. Sometimes we just need to pay attention to our own lives and thank God for all the ways that He's delivered us over the years. Perhaps we're not paying attention to the lives of other people that have been delivered from despair, and so we're in fellowship with them. We come to church and we hear how God's delivering other people, and we say, wow, Lord, you've done it with me. You've done it in your Word. You've done it in the lives of other people. I can trust you, and I will thank you in advance for delivering me out of my current place of despair the Lord loves us enough to keep molding and shaping us may we continue to grow and mature and trust him in our moments of despair so that we too can boldly and confidently proclaim our future deliverance in spite of our present circumstances can I get an amen so that's the introduction here's the outline this is just the way I see it right Verses 1 through 5, I refer to as the shepherdless life. The shepherdless life. Do we have that on the screen? Oh, do we have that? We've had some problems with the internet all weekend, so I'm not sure what's coming up or what's not coming up. There we go. Perfect. Thank you, guys. The shepherdless life, verses 1 through 5, and then the shepherd-led life, verses 6 through 9. The big idea is we shall bless the Lord. Why? Because He is a caring and carrying shepherd, as it says in verse nine, be their shepherd and carry them forever. So that's the big idea. Jason, do you have that up there for the big idea? We got that? Okay, good. I'm just making sure that our internet's working. Thank you so much. So that's the big idea. In the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, we wrestle with opposites. For example, in Proverbs, we learn about the wise man and the Foolish man. In Proverbs three was when we first are introduced to lady wisdom. In Proverbs nine, we learn about lady folly. In Psalms we learn about the righteous and the wicked. Opposites. And in here in Psalm twenty eight, we're going to look at the shepherd led life and the shepherd list life. Verse one to five reveal to us some of the characteristics of a person who does not follow the good shepherd. In verses six through nine, reveal to us some characteristics of the person who does follow the good shepherd. Then we're going to go back to my little elephant in the room towards the end. Characteristics. We're going to move through these kind of fast. If you miss some, you can can listen to the message online. If you want to take notes, I'm going to go as slow as I can. But like I said, my foot's in the throttle. Characteristics of the shepherdless life. Before we look at those, turn to Matthew 7. Turn to Matthew 7 if you'd like, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who was in heaven, that's who will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are the shepherd list's people that do not do not do the will of the Lord and follow the good shepherd. Back to Psalm 28. Let's take a look at some of the characteristics of the shepherdless life. I'm going to read them and I'm going to give you a verse. I'm going to number them, read them, and give you the verse. If you want to find them, you can highlight however you want to take notes. The first characteristic, number one, is the Lord is silent to us. When we're living a shepherdless life, the Lord is silent to us. You can find that in verse one. The second characteristic is we become dead to Him. You can also find that in verse 1. We become dead to Him. The third characteristic, our cries for help are not heard. That can be found in verse 2. Our cries for help are not heard. Number 4, we are wicked and we work iniquity. That can be found in verse 3. We are wicked and And the works of our hands are nothing but iniquity. That's found in verse 3. Characteristic number 5. Our lives are deceitful and they lack integrity. That can also be found in verse 3. And that one I want to talk about, church. Look in verse 3. What do do I mean when I say our lives are deceitful and lack integrity? It's the last part of verse 3. It says what? People who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. That is deceitful, and that lacks integrity. Perhaps one of the biggest infractions within the church today, I pray that's never true of our church, mouths that speak peace, but they're married with hearts that contain evil. Gossip, slander, complaining, impatience. And what do I mean by impatience? What I mean is this. God's doing a work in everybody's lives here, I hope and and pray right? And God does His work in the way He does His work. And for some it's slow, and for some it's fast, and for some it doesn't make sense for us how God's doing what He's doing. And we don't like it. We think they should be at this place in their walk, or they should be at that place in their walk. And so we kind of complain, and so we get, we're, we're peaceful with our mouth, but in our hearts we're saying mean things about what God's doing in that person's life. Why don't we just pray for that person? Pray for that person and turn them over to the Lord and just say, Lord, keep doing what you're doing. Praise the Lord that they're here. I don't think that's the Rock Community Church, but I pray it never becomes the Rock Community Church. One commentary says they make peaceful and and friendly professions while plotting mischief and war about this verse. I love that. Some of the words associated with this verse are this. I hate this word, hypocrites. I hate it. I hear that so much. I'm so sick of that word. I'm so sick of that word being used about the church. And here's why. So many people who don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. To which I reply, you're absolutely right. And there's a seat right there for one more. We have plenty of room for you. Please come join us. What the heck? On some level, we're, until we're perfected, right? We're gonna, we continue to grow and then we fall and we grow and then we fall. Is that hypocritical? Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 just, I can't stand that word. I get it. I know, what, I know what's meant by that. Dissemblers is another word. Actors, and that's what hypocrite means, to put on a mask. Actors, to fake, to pretend, or a sham. May we never be that. May we never be that. The sixth, sixth characteristic of the shepherdless life is we perform the work or the deeds of of our own hands, it says in verse 4. We perform the works and the practices and the deeds of our own hands and not the Lord's. Turn, if you will, to Revelation 18, verse 4. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Revelation 18, verse 4 through 7. 17. I'm sorry, 4 through 7. I heard another voice from heaven saying this, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her her double according to her, double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, doing the work of her own hands. So that's the sixth characteristic. The seventh, we have no regard for the work and the deeds of the Lord's hands. That's the seventh characteristic, is we have complete disregard. We have no regard for the work and deeds of what God is doing, the Lord's work, the deeds of His hands. That's what it says back in 28, verse 5. If you look at that if you want. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of His hands, He will tear them down and not build them up. To not regard means this. We do not think important. We think to be of no value, arguably to despise. We do not say that God has done, that what God has done is great, and we say that what God has done is really nothing. Can you imagine God being present and having no regard for Him to say He's nothing, He's done nothing. What He does is not important or of no value. Imagine. How do we disregard the Lord in our lives? May we never do that. One theologian, I love it, he writes, he says it this way, It's a stupid regardlessness of the works of God, and it's the cause of their ruin. Why do men question the being or attributes of God, but because they do not duly regard His handiworks, which declare His glory, and in which the invisible things of Him are clearly seen? Why do men forget and live without Him? Nay, they affront God and live in rebellion against Him. But that's not us, Pastor Mark. That's clearly not us. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. It may not be us. It shouldn't be us. I pray it's never us. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Just to the right of Psalms. Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and flute and by wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. Who? Verse 13. Therefore, my people go into exile. The minute we think we have it all together as as a church is arguably the minute that we actually don't have it all together, individually or collectively. You you get what I'm saying? The Bible says, you know, "Let, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he should fall. We need to always be alert. The last characteristic, characteristic number 8, also found in verse 5, is that we will not be built up, but we will be torn down. If we live a shepherdless life, we will not be built up, but we will be torn down. Verse 5. Unless we repent, there will certainly come a day of reckoning. When God will render to every man and woman according to the evil in which they persist on living. (laughs) Turn to Romans (coughs) 1. Verse 18. Excuse me. Romans 1. Verses 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Of the men who suppress truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals (coughs) and crawling creatures. Wow. Let's talk about the characteristics of the shepherd-led life. The shepherd-led life. We're going to talk about behaviors first and then the benefits. What behaviors do I exercise and then what benefits will I receive if I live a shepherd-led life? All of these are found in Psalm 28. Let me read them to you quickly. These are the behaviors. In verse 1, we're to call. We're to call on the Lord. All times to call. In verse 2, to cry. To cry out to God. In verse 2 also, to lift our hands. We call, we cry, we lift our hands and surrender. In verse 6, we bless His name. This is why we're in despair, church. We call, we cry, we lift our hands, we bless His name, verse 6. In verse 7, we trust, it says in verse 7. After we bless His name, we trust. And then in verse 7, we praise, we exalt His name, we praise Him. And at the end of verse 7, we experience thankfulness. We express thankfulness. (coughs) In the area of trust, which was the fifth thing that I listed... Let me just say this. Essentially what David is saying is this. My heart trusts in him and in his power and in his promise. Not just his power, but his promise also of what's to come. And it has never been in vain for David to do so. For I am helped, David says, as I have often been helped. David recalls that he will receive and he's assured of God's help because God has indeed helped him in the past. Not only has God given to me in His due time the help I trusted to Him for, but my very trusting in Him has helped me in the meantime and kept me from fainting. Let me clarify that. Right next to Psalm 28 is Psalm 27. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 27 about trust. Look at verse 13. I, David writes in Psalm 27, verse 13, I would have despaired... I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We will despair unless we believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord. That's trust. That's powerful. And... When we talk about the behavior of of exalting or praising, the heart that truly believes that God will deliver from despair shall in due time also greatly rejoice. It's just a matter of time. Thankfulness, the last one I mentioned. What a privilege and what a need to express our gratitude. It is the least thing that we can do. It's the least we can do. And others, because of it, will be invited and encouraged to trust in the Lord also when they see us giving thanks for future deliverance. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. After first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4, on thankfulness and prayer. verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. What that means is God wants to blow your mind. God wants to blow our minds. I can't even comprehend it. It's blowing my mind. Like, oh, this is crazy. God wants to blow our minds. We're in a mind-blowing God business, however you want to say that. And He'll guard our hearts, and He'll guard our minds in Christ Jesus. He'll blow our minds when we trust and when we pray, thankfully, for what God's going to do. What are the benefits? So those were the behaviors. Let me give you the benefits real quick. You can write them down in the verse reference. First benefit, in verse 1, He's our rock. First benefit is He is our rock in verse 1. The second benefit, we're going to be heard. God will hear us. We find that in verse 6. The third benefit, He'll be our strength. We find that in verse 7. God will be our strength. He'll also be our shield. That's the fourth one. God is our shield. We find that in verse 7 also. God is our helper, also found in verse 7. That's the fifth one. The sixth one, He will be our saving defense. That's found in verse 8. He will bless us. That's number what? Seven, he will bless us. That's found in verse 9. And then the last one, we will be carried forever. That's also found in verse 9. So now let me wind this down and talk about the little elephant in the room for me that I think is really interesting in Psalm 28. Why does, in verses 1 through 5, church, why does shepherd-led David fear that God is going to treat him like he's shepherd list David? That's what's happening in verses 1 through 5. David's saying, why? Why does David fear that God's going to treat him like he was shepherdless when he was clearly shepherded and shepherd-led? Had David's God changed? Was the Lord silent because he could no longer hear? Was the Lord silent because he could no longer speak? Did the Lord ignore David's lifted hands because he could no longer see them? David wanted to know why he was being treated like a criminal in verses 1 through 5. Why was the Lord doing nothing about the real criminals in verses 1 through 5? Inattentive, not being attentive, not paying attention. Inattentive is not a word that we want to think about when referring to God, but that is what is meant here in these verses. Psalm 80, verse 4, don't turn there. It says, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? Why are you silent? Why are you treating your people like they're your enemy? Imagine the sad despair David would be in if God slighted him. Imagine. What could be more devastating than to desire God's favor, to even deserve God's favor, to hope for God's favor, yet only sensing or experiencing his displeasure? What could be more devastating than that? Why do we have these moments? Why do we have these moments like David's having here in Psalm 28? I'm here to boldly proclaim to you that I have no idea. Like David in Psalm 28, we too might experience the sense of loneliness and or abandonment from the Lord in these moments of despair and distress. And I think it's just fine to articulate the emotions that David articulates in in Psalm 28. But let us not stop there, church. Let us do those other things as well. Let us recall the behaviors. Let us recall the blessings that we get out of Psalm 28 that we just went through. But consider this. This is what I want us to consider. Could it be, could it be that in these moments of distress and despair and perceived abandonment by our Lord that we have the greatest opportunity to be like Christ? Could it be? In the same way that David is feeling like, a, like his treatment is unjust, the Lord himself allowed his own son to be unjustly treated like a common criminal. Could it be Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We're going to close with this. Go to Isaiah 53. Yay. I love babies. Hmm. Isaiah 53, verses 10, 11, and 12. But the Lord was pleased, it says in Isaiah 53, to crush Him, the Lord Jesus putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify you and me. And he will bear your iniquities and my iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Could it be that in Psalm twenty-eight moments, moments of despair and distress, when we're crying out to God, can we trust Him? And even when we're wondering, why are you numbering me with the transgressors? Could it be that in those moments, that that's when we really connect with the Lord? Could it be? An American traveling in Syria became acquainted with a shepherd. Each morning, he noticed the shepherd carrying something to the sheep. The traveler followed him one morning and found that he was taking food to one particular sheep that had a broken leg. As he looked at the animal, he asked the shepherd, how did the sheep break its leg? Did it have an accident? Did it fall into a hole? Did it get attacked by another animal? No, said the shepherd. I broke the sheep's leg myself. You broke it yourself, asked the surprised traveler. Yes, the shepherd said. You see, this is a wayward sheep. It would not stay with the flock, but would lead the sheep astray. Then it would not let me near it. I could not approach it, so I had to break the sheep's leg that it might allow me, day by day, to feed it. In doing this, it'll get to know me as its shepherd. It'll get to trust me as its guide, and it'll keep with the flock. So a couple things. We always close with prayer, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to close our time with Psalm 23. I'm going to read Psalm 23 to you as our closing prayer. And when I'm done praying, of course, our prayer team, as always, will be to my left, your right. If you need prayer, please go to the prayer team. But what I'm also going to do is I'm going to give an invitation. I don't want anybody to leave this room. If they don't know the Lord and Savior as their shepherd, don't leave this building without doing so. So I'm going to give an invitation for you to sneak your hand up. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you an invitation. When I give that invitation, just sneak your hand up and then put it back down. And if you have the willingness to do so, would you please email me so I know what God's doing in your life. I want to help you and pray for you, okay? We had two people do that last service. God's calling you. He's he's, he's tugging on your heart. Don't leave this building without living a shepherd-led life. Quit, li- quit living a shepherdless life. Please. Please. All right? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give an invitation. And then I'm going to close this with Psalm 23. And then we're going to have our prayer time. And then I'm going to go home and sleep and watch football. Is that okay? <laughs> I almost lost it there about ten minutes ago. I had a cough drop, one left in my pocket. Like, yeah. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, for getting me through it. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and you can be trusted and you can be followed and we are to follow you for that's where all life and health and well-being are found, Lord. Thank you that you are a trustworthy shepherd. Right now, Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, I want to give them the opportunity to slip up their hand to say, yes, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of living a shepherdless life and I want to live a shepherd-led life. If that's you, please raise up your hand and then just put it right back down. God be glorified. Psalm 23 as I close. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are are with me, my shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And for that hand that just slipped up, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And everybody gave a resounding Amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great, great weekend. Enjoy the rain.